It isn't time yet. That's what the CECC said when responding to questions concerning downgrading the current level of epidemic restrictions. Though Taiwan has managed to keep local cases of COVID to zero on most days over the past two weeks, the CECC believes now is not the time to loosen restrictions. The nation will remain at level two alert from October 19th to November 1st. However, mask-wearing rules will be slightly relaxed. Let's hear from the health minister. Currently, the situation is quite stable in the country. There have only been three local cases reported since the beginning of the month, and they were all infected by old cases. As we are still working hard on vaccination, we have decided to keep the nation's epidemic alert at level two from October 19th to November 1st. But because the situation is more stable now, we have adjusted mask wearing rules. You will not be required to wear a mask when exercising outdoors or when taking individual or group photos, both indoors and outdoors, as long as social distance is maintained and all parties involved have no COVID symptoms. But you will still have to carry a mask with you because you will have to wear it after exercising and after you get your picture taken. Eating and drinking will also be allowed in the passenger waiting areas of Taiwan Railway and the high-speed rail starting this week. However, it is still no eating and drinking in long-haul bus terminals and airports. Some wonder why that is. The CECC said it was the decision of the Transportation Ministry, which it respects. Meanwhile, the Transportation Ministry has responded that it will mull over the rules. In the month of October, a record number of Chinese warplanes made sorties into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. With the rising tensions across the Taiwan Strait, it has been reported that Taipei and Washington are discussing an early delivery of the F-16V fighter jets ordered by Taiwan. A retired Air Force general said Sunday that Taiwan is just one of several nations, including Bahrain, Bulgaria and Slovakia, that have placed an order for the F-16Vs. But since there is greater urgency in Taiwan's case, the U.S. is now considering fast-tracking Taiwan's order. Multiple officials telling CNN the Biden administration has discussed fast-tracking dozens of American F-16 fighter jets ordered by Taiwan in 2019. With rising tensions across the Taiwan Strait as a result of the People's Liberation Army sending a record number of warplanes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, the Biden administration may expedite delivery of the F-16V fighter jets Taiwan ordered. This batch ordered in 2019 was scheduled to arrive in 2023. In addition to Taiwan, there are also countries in the Middle East and Eastern Europe waiting for their shipment. Yet considering the current security situation in the region becoming more urgent, Taiwan has requested the U.S. for an earlier delivery starting in 2022. 100 of China's jets are the J-16, a 4.5-generation fighter jet, so we should have 4.5-generation jets too, the F-16V, so we can have a parity between our equipment. The F-16Vs will be deployed at Taidong's Zhihang Air Base, which is very close to Taiwan's southwest and southeast ADAs, giving them easy access. China's jets and warships often lurk in the Bashi Channel, and Taidong's Zhihang Air Base is also closest to the Bashi Channel. 
The retired military commander said weaponry upgrades are frequent, so the earlier the order arrives, the better. Apart from purchasing new F-16V fighters, Taiwan's existing F-16A and B aircraft are being upgraded to F-16Vs in recent years. In the 10-day period from the beginning of the month to National Day, the PLA sent 153 warplanes into Taiwan's Aegis, peaking at 56 on October 4th. Though China hit pause for five days after the 10th, it sent yet another plane into the southwest Aegis on the 16th. The U.S. House of Representatives passed a bill that included invitation to Taiwan to participate in the 2022 Rim of the Pacific exercise, which is currently the largest maritime warfare exercise. We have made tremendous diplomatic breakthroughs, and China, for its part, has to take a political stance. Whether it's the early delivery of the F-16Vs or the invitation to join RIMPAC, the U.S. is clearly responding with action to China's military threats. The Thai administration has launched the Inspiring Women Entrepreneurs Program for Indigenous Women in conjunction with the American Institute in Taiwan. The Council of Indigenous Peoples worked with AIT to design the training program, combining it with opportunities for business loans and subsidies. It aims to give promising indigenous entrepreneurs a leg up at the start of their business careers. Council of Indigenous Peoples Minister Ichan Parod speaks in an indigenous language to 30 participants in the Inspiring Women Entrepreneurs Program. They are the first cohort of this collaborative scheme from the COI and the AIT, aimed at stimulating innovative entrepreneurial vision. It's mainly aimed at indigenous women who have just started a business or who want to do so soon. Taking a training like this lets their first steps as business owners get off to a great start. And we started it with the Academy of Women Entrepreneurs. And then with the support of the CIP ministry, we've, we've redesigned an online course called Dream Builder into a Chinese language curriculum that targets the specific needs of Taiwanese indigenous women. The program provides training as well as business loans and subsidies for ventures and innovative research. It aims to support indigenous entrepreneurs to realize their dreams across all industries. After this first cohort of 30, more training programs are planned. We came to an important decision in our meeting today, which is that this training is not done and dusted this year and then gone. AIT Director Oak Kirk even mentioned that it will continue next year. The budget for it on the American side is already sorted. The program is a boon for indigenous entrepreneurs and also a sign of solid economic and cultural ties between Taiwan and the U.S. Amid rising oil prices worldwide, Taiwan's state-run refiner CPC said starting at midnight, gasoline prices will go up by 0.8 NT per liter and diesel 0.9 NT. The price adjustment will push fuel prices to a three-year high, of which the most widely consumed 95 unleaded will reach 31 NT per liter. CPC said if adjusted according to the floating pricing formula, Gasoline and diesel prices should be raised by 2 NT and 3.2 NT, respectively. But in order to keep fuel prices at the lowest in Asia, and after activating the government's price stabilization measures, CPC will absorb the 1.2 NT and 2.3 NT differences. As of last month, CPC had absorbed a total of 5.75 
$1.6 billion in tea in 2021. Well, it was noticeably cooler Saturday afternoon with the arrival of the strongest northeasterly winds of the season. And it was not just cool, but also damp in the north and northeast. A low of 18.7 degrees was recorded in Taoyuan on Sunday. The Central Weather Bureau says the lowest temperature will be felt Monday morning, after which the mercury will begin to rise during the day with clearing skies. Come Friday, another wave of northeasterly winds will descend on the island, ushering in cool and moist air to the north and northeast. Pedestrians on the street donned light jackets and long sleeve shirts. The effects of the strongest northeasterly winds of the season could be felt Sunday morning. Temperatures in northern and eastern regions took a dive with the lowest temperature recorded in Taoyuan at 18.7 degrees. New Taipei's Reifang and Xinzhu's Baoshan recorded 18.8 degrees. The weather turned cool and damp. The lowest temperature will be felt early tomorrow morning, around 20, 21 degrees in the Taipei area. It could be even lower in open areas close to the mountains and along the sea. From Sunday to Monday morning, the high temperatures will be no more than 25 degrees. The mercury will drop down to about 20 degrees early Monday morning in Taipei. As for central and southern Taiwan, there will be little noticeable effects during daytime, but it will be cool in the morning and at night with large temperature swings between day and night. The temperature will start to climb during the day on Monday when the northeasterly winds weaken. The next wave of northeasterly winds will arrive on Friday, ushering in once again moisture to the northern and northeastern regions. The next wave will bring a larger amount of moisture compared to the current one. The period of effect will likely be a bit longer. The area of rainfall will be larger, but the main affected area is still northern and northeastern regions. As the fall season progresses, the weather in northern and southern Taiwan can often be a world apart. Those traveling to and fro between northern and southern Taiwan and leaving home early and returning late should adjust their clothing accordingly. A fish is taking over Taiwan's lakes. The sailfin catfish is a freshwater species native to South America. It was introduced to Taiwan in the 1980s as a pet that eats algae and can keep aquariums clean. But these household pets become insidious problems when they're released into the wild. Today, Taiwan's in an uphill battle to control its catfish invasion. Here's our Sunday special report. This is Bihu Park in Taipei's Nehu District. Surrounded by mountains, this is a popular spot to relax and fish, or just to sit back and escape the city's hustle and bustle. But here, at this corner of the park, it's a storm of activity, cutting a stark contrast to the lake's serenity. These conservationists work together to carry a boat to the water, and then they set up a gill net. But what exactly are they working on? Today, we're attempting to clear the lake of a type of fish called the sailfin catfish. This is an invasive species that has taken over the lake. Bihu Park is a great place for Nehu residents to relax and go on walks. 
but few residents are aware of what lurks beneath the surface of its lake. The calm surface hides an unwelcome guest, the sailfin catfish, also commonly known as an algae eater. After placing the gill net for two hours, the group is ready to pull it in. In just two short hours, they have captured 37 sailfin catfish. Looking closer, one is greeted with the fish's small round eyes and its labyrinth-like skin pattern. Its coarse skin is covered in hard scales that form a sort of armored plating. The sailfin catfish is not indigenous to Taiwan. It's from South America. There's a suitable environment for it there, as well as natural predators. But they don't have natural predators in Taiwan. Some 30 years ago, the sailfin catfish was considered a must-have for aquariums, and it was imported into Taiwan. It was known as a garbage collector or algae eater. The main purpose of algae eaters is to eat the algae that thrive in aquariums due to the lighting. Aquarium owners don't need to worry about frequently cleaning the aquarium. The algae eater does a very good job of that, saving people lots of time. Algae eaters were imported for use inside aquariums. How did they end up out in the wild? Less than two kilometers away at Dahu Park, the same problem exists, an invasion of algae eaters. When these algae eaters grow up, many aquarium owners discard them due to their offensive appearance. Others get rid of them due to their aggression to other fish in the aquarium. Out in the wild, the fast-producing sailfin catfish can quickly become a problem. During its breeding season from May to August, a multitude of eggs is laid, creating an ecological catastrophe. There was a study done by a master's student at National Taiwan University. It found that sailfin catfish can lay up to 6,000 eggs at a time. In my own calculations, I found that they laid up to 2,500 eggs. About an hour's drive from Taipei, Ba De Pond Ecological Park in Taoyuan has also fallen victim to the sailfin catfish. Of Taoyuan's 2,000 or so ponds, about 800 are used for irrigation. Some of those ponds are also used for aquaculture. In recent years, the sailfin catfish has been a source of grief for the aquaculture industry. Algae eaters use up oxygen and consume feed. They eat other fish's feed. This creates losses for those of us who cultivate fish, but we don't have a solution for it. This 20,000-ping pond in Taoyuan Xinyi district is teeming with sailfin catfish. According to aquaculture farmer Chen Qinghan, his net once drew up 1,000 caddies of the fish in a single go. On the day we were there, we didn't catch many, but we could see signs of them in the pond. Sailfin catfish are omnivores. If they eat food meant for other species, they invariably add to the operating costs of aquaculture farmers. But what's of even greater concern is the harm that sailfin catfish can do to farmed fish. 
They have an impact on the fish we raise, like the tilapia and the Taiwan sea bream. These fish are beautiful starting out, but then they get caught up in the net together with the sailfin catfish. They rub against each other in the net, and that helps us scale the fish. But the problem is that there's no market for these fish after they're scaled. They just can't be sold. The aquaculture farmers here put tremendous resources into raising quality fish. But when they pull up their net, nearly one-fifth of the fish they net is algae eaters. The bed of this 3.5-ton truck is packed to the brim with sailfin catfish, each one at least 30 centimeters long. It's hard to imagine just how many of these fish are swimming about in the lake. A key question is how this invasive species, which has no natural predators, is affecting the local ecology. Out in the wild, sailfin catfish can grow to 30 centimeters or more. In one day, it can eat between 3,000 and 5,000 fish eggs. That's a threat to other fish in the same environment, which will greatly drop in numbers. As a sailfin catfish has no natural predators, it can turn a diverse aquatic ecosystem into a single species environment. Aside from the threat it presents to native species, the sailfin catfish's large size also means it has a voracious diet and produces a large amount of bodily waste. This can be ruinous for water quality. The waste from these fish causes algae to flourish. The growth of the algae in turn upsets the balance in the ecosystem. What's worse is that without other plant life in the water to block the sunlight, the water temperature rises greatly and kills the algae. As they die, they absorb oxygen, which greatly depletes the water's oxygen levels. In the past, Taoyuan would clean out its ponds and lakes, removing sailfin catfish in the process. For a time, it seemed like this was the ultimate solution. But in more recent years, due to spells of drought, Taoyuan has had to give up on this approach. Now the number of algae eaters increases annually. In the past, we could drain the pond and clean it, and keep the numbers down that way. But now with the water shortages, it's not possible to drain ponds and refill them. That means that algae eaters are better able to reproduce. Unable to drain ponds and lakes, the city has to rely on traditional methods to get rid of algae eaters. Using gill nets, workers catch large numbers of the invasive fish by hand. During breeding season, they're able to remove the fish's eggs, thereby reducing the number of new fish that are hatched. In the early days, there were lots of indigenous fish here, and we would come here to fish. In early 2020, lots of newspaper and magazine reports were saying that the water here was infested with algae eaters, and even the experts gave up on dealing with the issue. I felt like the environment here was in a sad state of affairs, so I came here during the breeding season to see if I could remove some of the fish's eggs from the water. But whether it's removing eggs during breeding season or removing the fish, neither solution is a quick fix. If you catch these fish, there is still the difficult situation of what to do with them. The problem is that we don't know how many we will catch. Sometimes it's quite a lot, and then we need to have the park's custodial workers come take them away at the last minute. But the workers may not be free at that time. However, if you arrange in advance for them to come, you may not end up catching any of the algae eaters at all. A lot of aquaculture farmers are frustrated about this too. They might need to get rid of algae eaters they catch, but there's nowhere to dispose of them. These days, people are very environmentally aware. 
If you dispose of these fish somewhere out in the open, they're going to create a foul smell, and then someone will report you. No matter what people do to deal with these invasive fish, it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Treating the problem at its source means stopping people from throwing their pet fish into public waters. If you really want to have fish as pets, you need to be a responsible pet owner. Before you decide to bring these fish home, before you buy them, you need to be sure that you really want them in your aquarium. Teaching people to think clearly about this is the best way to tackle the issue. These days, the Fishery Authority is working with larger aquarium retailers to work out a system for collecting fish that people no longer want. The fishery's website also has a form that you can fill out to tell them you have algae eaters you want to get rid of. Submit the form and they'll assess it. Tropical fish are popular pets, and algae eaters can be a useful addition to aquariums. But when fish are tossed out into an environment where they have no natural predators, they can become a hazard that destroys the ecological balance.